the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Peter. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. That the whole plan of redemption and even the sacrifice of Christ is something that we may not fully be able to appreciate this side of heaven until one day all things are made clear to us because scripture seems to indicate that even though we mark his crucifixion at a certain time within the continuum, in God's um, perspective of time, it's outside that continuum. God's ways are not our ways, neither are His thoughts our own. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he shares with you that the Lord is an all-loving and all-knowing God. Sometimes it can be hard to understand why God allows certain things and why things happen on certain timelines. However, Pastor Gary encourages you to place your full trust in the sovereignty of God. He sees and knows the entire picture. And remember, you only see glimpses. Rely upon the Lord who is never changing. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So we left off uh, right around verse 13, about in the middle of the chapter of First Peter chapter 1. And so uh, I'll just read again and get a running start. Uh, Peter writes here, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he, that is the Lord, who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So if you're new to the study of First uh, Peter, uh, this was written by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' original 12. He wrote it in the year 64 A.D., and uh, 64 to 67 AD became some of the worst years for Christians because they were martyred. And that's because earlier in the year 64 AD, Rome had caught on fire. Fire, Nero blamed the Christians. Christians then were persecuted. They were blamed for the fire. Uh, historians suggest that Nero actually started the fire himself, as I've said the past couple of weeks, in order to try to refurbish Rome because the Roman Senate wouldn't give him money. So all of that on the side, what it became is a, a, a bad many years for Christians. And uh, Peter himself will be martyred during this time, 64 to 67 AD, as will Paul. 
And so very terrible times uh, for Christians. And, and, and before Peter is martyred, he's going to write first and second Peter, these epistles, these letters, and, and his primary purpose in writing first Peter is to encourage these persecuted Christians. So in some ways, we're a little bit removed from this because, you know, our life is not in danger for our faith, and we should not take that for granted because there are a lot of people around the world whose lives are in danger because of their faith in Christ. But be that as it may, this is still a great letter that exhorts us to holy living. And, and as Peter begins to, to pen this letter, his primary purpose is to encourage the persecuted Christians to continue to just stay strong. And, and to live out your life for the glory of God, despite the fact that there are sufferings, there are trials, and, and there will be persecutions. And so he, he transitions here in this section. In fact, verse 13 uh, is subtitled in my Bible, Living Before God Our Father. And so he's going to shift here to this whole idea about holy living. And as we highlighted last week, I just want to highlight again, verses 15 and 16, where, where he challenges us, but as he, the Lord who called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That's an important word, conduct. He's going to repeat that word uh, two more times in the next few verses. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And we talked about how the Greek word for holy is hagios, meaning to be morally pure and or to be set apart for God. So in one sense, we are positionally holy when we get saved because we're set apart for his purpose. We're set apart. We're, we're bought by the blood of Christ. And so we are made righteous unto the Lord. But then we're called to live out righteous lives, to be holy in our conduct. So it is both positional and practical. Holiness is both positional and practical. Uh, we are set apart. We are made holy by the fact that we trust Christ as our Savior. Uh, but then we are called and challenged in our lives to live lives of holiness. And so we talked last week about, well, what does that look like? And, and according to what Peter will write here, he's going to give us three practical tips about what holy living looks like. And the first thing that he said, and this is where we we left off last week, we talked a, a, a bit about this, is he says there in, in verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. So he's talking about the way that we used to live before we got saved. He said, now that was how you once lived. No longer should you live like that. Do not conform to this world. And the world, the word conform there is suskematizo. Uh, we get our English word schematic. So it's the idea of not patterning our lives, not, not being fashioned in a way that looks like the world. We've come out of the world. So we shouldn't be looking like the world. We shouldn't be doing things that the world does and going to the, some of the places the world goes and, and talking some of the ways that the world talks and all this kind of stuff. We are to be different. And, and, you know, this is kind of an ongoing theme because on Sundays, we, you know, we just talked on, on this past Sunday from Daniel chapter 1. That was a main theme with Daniel that, you know, it's the idea that he would not defile himself by the king's food. He was living a different life. He didn't want to just, you know, live according to the pattern of, of his world and, and neither should we. And Paul, uh, rather Peter, challenges us here about not being conformed. Romans 12 verse 2 says, be not conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen to me on this. One of the greatest and most common questions I get is, Pastor G, how can I know the will of God? And I always point people to Romans 12 too, because until you're first living a life that is not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will not be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Why do we think that God is obligated to reveal to us his perfect will in our lives if we're not living for him? So there's a duplicity in that. And so Peter's saying, listen, as Christians, if you're a Christ follower, don't be living like the world and and still expect, you know, God to to reveal his will to you. And and there's, there's a duplicity. There's a contradiction there. There should be no contradiction. Our belief and our behavior should be parallel, okay? Not in opposition, but should be parallel. And, and so this is what we're called to, to be. And it's not necessarily sin issues. Some, some people were asking me after last Wednesday night study, like, why didn't you name certain sins? And you missed the point. It's not, I'm not even talking about necessarily sin issues, although that obviously is part of not conforming to the pattern of this world. I'm just talking about living a distinct life, not doing certain things that may not even be sin issues because it looks too much like the world. Here's what happens. Uh, let me use it in an illustration with ice cream. Does everybody like ice cream? Okay, I don't, I've never, unless you're, you know, lactose intolerant, which, what a shame because, you know, <laughs> ice cream that is lactose free is not really ice cream. But anyway, um, so I don't really know anybody who doesn't like ice cream. Even if you're lactose intolerant, you still wish you could eat it. But here's the deal. If, if, if all I'm used to is vanilla, right, and that's, that's all I know, and you offer me vanilla, I'm not interested because that's already what I got, right? So that's like when, when the world is living like the world does and Christians are too much like the world, they don't have anything to offer them that is unique and distinct and different. But you offer me Chunky Monkey, Ooh, baby. Now I want what you have, you see. You offer me some black raspberry, I'm with you, okay? I know you chocolate lovers, you can dream about chocolate stuff. I'm just not a chocolate guy. But anyway, um, that's the idea. If as Christians, we are just offering people something so similar that they don't notice us as any different than they are, they will not be curious or interested in what we have. But if our lives are lived in such a way that it's distinct and different, now I don't mean it has to be weird, okay? And that's, unfortunately, sometimes Christians just get weird. You don't have to get weird. You can stay normal and relatable, okay? You don't have to get all weird. Don't get weird. Don't be a weird Christian, Okay, don't be a weird Christian. And do I even need to define that? You know what that is, right? You know, that just people get weird. And then, and then they weird out people that they're trying to influence. Just be normal. Just be normal. But if we're not distinct enough and different enough, that the world isn't at least curious about what we have, then we have lost our influence for the kingdom. So the idea behind nonconformity to the world are two things. Number one, We need to ask ourselves, am I living my life in such a way that glorifies God? And number two, am I living my life in such a way that additionally would influence people who don't know him? 
And so if we're, if we're too much like the world, friends, they're, they're not interested. They need to see something distinct in your life that is an obvious indication of Christ's transformation. And so be careful. That's, that's the challenge for all of us. Just be careful because God calls us to holiness. God calls us to be separate and to be morally pure. So this is where we left off. And so verse 17. So then he says, and if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves. It's the same theme. Throughout the time of your stay here in fear. This is holy fear for God, right? Not, Not afraid of God, but in fear of him. And there's a big difference. There's, it's a reverential, uh, worshipful, respectful fear of God while you're staying here. Again, Peter's emphasis is this is not our final home. We're just passing through. But while you're here, live your life in, in the fear of the Lord. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct. There's the word again. Received by tradition from your fathers. In other words, basically the law. But this is how you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Circle the word precious. Peter likes to use that word often. We'll see it many more times. But with the precious, it's the Greek word timios. Uh, In fact, the name Timothy comes from that Greek word timios. Timios means honorable or precious, valuable, something esteemed. He says, this is how you and I were redeemed, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So what he goes on to say here is, and he's still talking about, you know, this whole theme, your conduct and not conforming to the pattern of this world. And he's, and he's now moving here into verses 17 to 21 by saying, and here's the motivation. Our motivation for holy living should be based on the fact that we were blood bought and that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. And that God determined to redeem us, to purchase us from sin by the precious blood of Christ. So he says here, your redemption didn't come through anything perishable or traditional. Because the traditional part is anything handed down by your forefathers. So the law is to lead us to Christ, but the law can't save us. The idea that if I just do enough good rules, then somehow I I can be good enough to get to heaven. Doesn't work. The law of the Old Testament was intended to point out our sins so that we would cry out for our Savior. It was intended to highlight like a mirror so that we would recognize our sinful condition. But the problem became that the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they saw instead of the law to be used like a mirror to show them their sinfulness, they used it like a ladder. They thought, well, if I just obey all the laws, I'll be able to climb my way up to God. And they missed the whole purpose of the law. The law, Galatians says, is intended to lead us to Christ. The law is somewhat like a, a thermometer, okay, when, you, when you're taking your, your temperature, okay? The, a thermometer doesn't make you well. It just points out the fact that you're sick, okay? So the thermometer doesn't 
help anybody. It just reveals the fact that you got a problem. And that's the, and that's the intent behind the law. It doesn't save anybody. It's to point out the fact that you're sick, you're, you're sinful, you need a savior. And we all do. So, so Peter comes along and he says, listen, your redemption was not gained by anything that is perishable, fading, temporary. It's eternal. And not gained by something traditional, handed down to you by your forefathers. No, he says, but instead, your redemption came by the precious, the timios, the valuable, the honorable, the esteemable blood of Jesus Christ. Now, it's very interesting. Leviticus 17, 18 says that, and this is, this is the whole idea behind the sacrificial system, and, and this segues into the rest of what Peter was saying here. Leviticus 7, verse uh, 17, verses 13 and, and 14, it talks about how the blood, of, the life of a creature is in the blood. The reason why God accepted a sacrificial animal in the Old Testament for the sins of the people was because by the shedding of the blood of that animal, it was the pouring out of the animal's life, the life of is in the blood. You lose your blood, you lose your life. And so the idea behind the sacrificial system was one life, the life of an animal, in exchange for your life. And the life of an animal was about as innocent as as it could get because no human being was innocent enough. So we'll shed the blood of an animal. And God's gracious provision was, you make a sacrifice of an animal, I will accept that for your life temporarily, until such time that Christ should be revealed for the sins of the whole world. And so that was a temporary atonement for uh, sinful conditions until such time that a permanent solution could come for the sins of the whole world, and that's Jesus Christ, which is why, segueing now to the rest of this verse, Peter says here, the blood of Christ as of, verse verse 19, as of a lamb without blemish, and without spots. He compares the sacrifice of Christ to the sacrifice of the old system, which was carried out through the slaughtering of lambs. And so Peter's saying, Christ comes along, replaces all that. He is as of a lamb. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, that Jesus is our Passover lamb. John the Baptist would say, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of our world. It's all, you know, it's, it's allegorical. It's, it's figurative. It's the idea that his sacrifice became the one sacrifice for all time for all people. And so Peter's saying here, if, if you and I would just continue to be reminded of the fact that God gave his son to die on a cross, shedding his blood as the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world... That should motivate us. If we keep that in mind, oh, what an extent that God went to. What a great extent that God went to, to redeem us, to save us from our sins. Oh, that our Savior would shed his blood to die on a cross for us. I should live in a right way to please him. That's what he's saying here. You want some motivation for holy living? Consider the sacrifice of Christ, what God did on our behalf to redeem us from our sins. And then he adds this, this interesting thing here. This is, this is a little bit of a mind bender, but verse 20, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Okay. In other words, the whole sacrifice of Christ was not an afterthought that God just came up with. It was a forethought revealed at the right time. 
that he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, in other words, revealed at the right time, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, here's the reason why this is a bit of a mind bender, because, you know, here Christ was sacrificed on a cross roughly the year 32 AD, and yet Peter's saying here, but this was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now, John would write something similar in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. And John would say this, that he saw the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Wait, I thought he was slain in 32 AD. He was slain from the foundation of the world. And Peter writes here in a similar way, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world. This is where quantum mechanics and the theory of relativity are still something that scientists today are trying to harmonize. Because Einstein's theory of relativity basically said that time is malleable. And this is where it gets, you know, head games. Like, when was Christ sacrificed? Because the Bible indicates that his sacrifice was not just a forethought, but it happened before the foundation of the world. Now, Einstein, in his theory of relativity and his whole discussion about how time is malleable, he said that if, if we could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, time ceases to be. That if you could travel at the speed of light, and isn't it interesting that Scripture says God is light and in him there is no darkness. See, God is outside of time and space. So he's not restricted by time. The whole idea of time we're restricted by because we're within the time-space continuum. God's outside of it. So when Einstein starts talking about if you could travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, time ceases to be, there's this malleable aspect of time that is somewhat foreign to us, but yet exists outside of our continuum. A lot of smart people understand it a whole lot better than I do. All I'm telling you is that what it means is that the whole plan of redemption and even the sacrifice of Christ is something that we may not fully be able to appreciate this side of heaven until one day all things are made clear to us because Scripture seems to indicate that even though we mark his crucifixion at a certain time within the continuum, in God's um, perspective of time, it's outside that continuum. So um, interesting stuff for those of you who like uh, you know, quantum physics and and, uh, and, and quantum mechanics and all of that kind of stuff. But um, the, the sacrifice of Christ um, before the foundation of the world. So do with that what you want. All right. Verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently, with a pure heart, underline that, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. All right, now he's going to give us two more um, ways that holy living will be evident. And 
Um, the first one is in the first part of verse 22, which I actually want to save to point number three, where he talks about obeying the truth, because he goes on to talk more about that. But in the second part of verse 22, he says, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So that's number two on our list. First Peter 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow! Imagine that, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This inheritance isn't subject to taxes or diminished by inflation. God is keeping this inheritance for everyone who lives by faith in His Son. There is so much great news wrapped up in just these few verses. Imagine what the rest of the book will contain. Pastor Gary Hamrick is working through the rich, encouraging book of 1 Peter in this series on Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on a Sunday morning or Wednesday evening. For more information, including location and service times, head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'd love to see you here next time for more from Pastor Gary on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.